or your app, your Bible app, and get it ready because we're going to read together in a minute from um, Matthew's Gospel. But before we get there, before we get there, this morning, let's just set the scene. Um, <coughs> we've been entering into this conversation. Now, last week about the prayer of Jesus, the Jesus prayer. And um, if we can go to that, um, let me just make sure I've got my slides in order here. Yeah, we'll go to that first slide. Thanks, Jake, uh, Isaac, um, and um, of, uh, of Tom Wright. When the world is going through great convulsions, the followers of Jesus are called to be the people of prayer at the place where the world is in pain. Okay, that's the invitation of God for the followers of Jesus. And now, hear me, and I think Tom, Tom's on to something here, and we're going to unpack this because when Jesus, when Jesus in his context, his cultural moment and his time, there was great convulsions taking place, loads of conspiracy theories taking place. But he chose not to listen to that, but chose to listen to his father and invoke his kingdom. He didn't waste his time in the conspiracies of this world that end up everywhere but Christ. And he called for the father's right order to come into people's lives. This, this is what it means to be the people of Jesus. If you've got your head in a whole bunch of news right now that's causing you to just spend loops and loops and loops of mental energy and time in conspiracy, can I ask you, turn it off. Turn it off and let the main and central thing be the main and central thing, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And where there is pain in the world, we don't... Try and expose what we think conspiracies behind it. We step towards the pain in the good news authority of the love of God with Jesus. That's our calling. No one else in the world gets to do that except the followers of Jesus. No one else. Last week, we, we continued to explore the fact that in Romans chapter 8, when we don't know what to pray, and when the whole world is groaning, we're groaning because... Um, externally, we look around us and we see everything is broken or it's dysfunctional or it's not, um, it, it's not life-giving, it's taking life from people. And at the same time, we're groaning because deep within us is the hope of Christ to want to see that external reality transformed by his love, addressed by his purposes and see the kingdom of God come. So we live with this both the reality of feeling and looking at the hopelessness that pervades the world and ourselves, and yet at the same time as followers of Jesus, we are filled with the very Spirit of God that rose Christ from the dead on the third day and is being poured out into us. And so as a result of that, hope is within us. And that's why on most days we feel like it's this massive tug of war within us between the hopelessness of unmet dreams and expectations of a life lived in God and the hope of God actually addressing that hopelessness. It's the tug of war. Proverbs talks about it, how um, hope deferred makes this thing in here, our heart sick. 
And so we, we know that sickness in us. It's like, oh, God, I can't bear to walk this walk anymore because of this reality. It's broken, not working, and it's still, it's taking life. Hope deferred. And yet now the good news of Jesus Christ is that the king who's defeated all hopelessness in his resurrection is also living right there in that space within us to go, let me take that hopelessness and use it to become the soil where I'm going to plant the seed of my kingdom and we're going to see life flourish in that very hopeless circumstance. Who has a, ho- who has a circumstance right now that you carry in your heart that you feel great hopelessness for? It's a sense of a dream lost, a child gone, a, a circumstance gone awry. Just pay attention to that. Because often it's the Holy Spirit saying, right there, right there in that hopeless space, I'm about to birth the kingdom of God. And I'm not speaking out of just an optimistic framework. I'm not speaking words of positive confession. None of that rubbish. I'm speaking on the revelation of the Lordship of Christ who died and rose again and has now come to take up home in your heart. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We're living in a time, even though there's great convulsions, the followers of Jesus are being mobilized to prayer and, uh, and are beginning to feel that where the world is in pain and move towards it with the hope of the gospel. We're living in a time where the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all flesh and bringing with him is an empowering presence to live alive to God despite what the enemy in the world is saying and doing. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is bringing an invitation for people in this hour to not give up, but to give over to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, we're going to read this again. Uh, We're reading this every week as we gather together. We're reading the Lord's Prayer together. But just just a quick little reminder... it's a, it's a prayer when Paul uses in Romans 8 how everything is groaning. The earth is groaning. God's people are groaning. Everything is groaning to come into the fullness of the knowledge of God's love through Christ. That word groaning, we, we mentioned, it's not, a, it's not an isolated activity that you do on your own. It's an activity that you do with other believers. You sidle up next to them. You go, and sometimes you don't have words. That's okay. That's what groaning is like. I don't have the words for this. Don't let that disqualify you either. So often, I get, I get phone calls from seasoned followers of Jesus who think that somehow I am more resourced than them to step into their own story where God's inviting them to be his presence to other people. Stop calling me and start listening to Jesus who's calling you. Please be mobilized in who you are. Don't look to religious professionals. We stuff it up and get it wrong just as much as you do. Be at peace in that. But don't ring me when someone rings you and says, This is my circumstance and I need help. 
step towards that pain with the authority of the Christ who lives in you. And not knowing what to pray, don't worry, the spirit of the living God is in you, is in you and knows how to intercede in that moment. It may be simple words, it may be no words, it may just be your very presence holding their hand. It may be your brutal honesty to say to them, oh God, I don't know what to pray, let your kingdom come, God. It may be that the gift of the Holy Spirit graces you with tongues, with words that are un, un, can't be understood with the mind, but it's the deep groanings of the Holy Spirit that come flowing out of your mouth and at the surface make no sense at all. Someone the other day said to me, I've always had this long struggle with the battle of, of, of the gift of tongues. And they said, I've always struggled with it based on their history and their tradition and felt like they'd somehow had missed out. But they said, often I just find myself humming. I just allow that deep part of my heart just to begin to hum, like, hmm. Hmm. And they begin to connect with the Spirit of God. That's intercession right there. Right there. Listen to the Lord. This, remember this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's a temple prayer. We'll go on to the next slide if we can. It's a temple prayer. It's a prayer of heaven and earth. It's a prayer of invocation where we are inviting the kingdom to come into this space that we find ourselves in right here and now. At the same time, it's a kingdom prayer of activation where we are the ones who are graced and authorized to release the kingdom at the same time. It's this invoking and releasing spiritual activity. This is the kind of prayer that it is. And remember last week, we go on to the next, the next slide. We s it starts with that Our Father. Now, this got some people wound up last week. I got some feedback. I got some feedback this week. That when you are praying to our Father, when Jesus says, let's pray to our Father, we're praying to the God of Exodus. The God of the Exodus. The God who hears the cry of those who are oppressed. The God who mobilizes his love and authority and power to conquer the demonic infrastructure in the, in the heavens and over the powers of those in the earth who have been given institutional authority and power. He breaks through them and then he brings his kingdom to deliver his people out from underneath. That's our father and bring them into his kingdom. So when you're praying our father, you're not praying to the image of your, your own earthly experience of father. You're not, you're not praying to that. It might want to jump in front of you. No, that's not who you're praying to. You're praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is, the, he is also, the, not only is he the God of Exodus, he is the God of King David, where he says to King David in the Psalms, today you are my son. He's the God who releases identity or sonship and daughtership to the people of God. 
not only to kings, but to people like you and me as well. And at the same time, he says, I will make the nations an inheritance unto you. And so as you and I come into our true identity, God's kingdom is advancing in the earth where every nation, tribe, and people will come into the knowledge of knowing Jesus as we partner with our Father. He is also the God of all who are thirsty. Isaiah 55, come all who are thirsty and tired and weak, come you who have no money and buy the richest of fare from the kingdom of God. Gosh, I love the story of God in my own life and in the life of this place. We just continue to line up week in, week out and give away everything that comes in. We give it away and then the table is always full. Always. Gets a little skint sometimes where we think, mm. but God in his faithfulness, he's the God who brings, he's our father. And when we're thirsty and like Jake says, hungry to see another generation know Jesus, our father comes and resources that. He brings the resource both in a practical way and in a spiritual way. He's the God who invites. He's the God who provides. And he's the God who's revealed in Jesus. John 14, 8, Philip said, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, after I've been with you this, all this time, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father is fully revealed in Jesus. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 15, being poured out by the Holy Spirit, poured out in our hearts, we now cry out, Abba. It's not the, that, that one's not the formal father. It's not the formal, regal, royal father. It's the dad that our hearts have always longed for. It's, the, it's that parental embrace of God that is so much more than our masculine and feminine understanding can even get a grip on. It's so much bigger and richer and more kind and life-giving. It's our father, Abba. I'm nose to nose with royalty and yet at the same time being embraced by the maker of heaven and earth, by whom I cry out, Abba, Father. So we're going to stand and we're going to pray together. So remember, when we start with our Father, got all of that, you got all that loaded up on the on-ramp? Okay, you got that on the on-ramp because we're going to pray to our Father now. So let's stand and let's pray together. We'll go to the next slide. Thanks, Dave. Let's stand and let's pray together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Take a seat. Next slide. Thanks, guys. Last night. I went and to this paddock and this group of Jesus people from all over the region were there. Um, there were children there, there were seasoned saints there, and everyone in between. And um, 
we were gathered from all sorts of parts of the body of Christ. It was beautiful. You know, where, where the brethren dwell together like that with one heart unto Jesus, it, it, it releases a blessing from God. And we, anyway, we were just all there. That's a little picture of it. We snapped last night. And um, the, opening, the opening prayer of, uh, of our little, this little get-together that I went to last night was Psalm 24, which reads this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory might come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Together as we, as we um, gathered around the centrality of our love for Jesus, we, this, this opening prayer was read out by someone. As, as, as a prayer of invocation, a prayer of, here we are, King, come bring your kingdom. Together we sang, together we groaned, together we cried out, together we bowed down, together we danced, together we met people that we'd never known <laughs> before that very moment. It didn't matter, <laughs> not knowing who you were standing next to, it was just like, this is family. This is king, kingdom family. It was beautiful. It was rich. It was full of the loving presence of God. But the question is, as the psalmist said it, who is he? Who is the king of glory? It's interesting. The whole story of this Bible that we've opened up and read together from Matthew chapter 6 there, the whole story of the Bible is God is king. The reality that we live in is that there is lots and lots and lots of reality that tells us in those places and spaces, it does not look like God is king. How do we live that out? How do we live this out, this kingship of God in our day-to-day living? Together we ask for God to come and be king in his world. And we cried out for this part of the earth. It was great because all these people were locals. They're from the Moreton Bay region. And we were crying out by suburbs, naming suburbs. God, Kalanga. Kalanga needs you, Lord. Bring your kingdom to Kalanga. And we were just naming suburbs and locations and groups and calling out for the Father to be the king in all of those places where it doesn't look like he currently is. You see, we see that around us there's many situations where there are people who have been given and authorized positions of power and authority and influence that do use it for their own gain and their own sense of self. We do see this. 
we see this where there's people who have been given places of power and influence and they wield it um, to their own gain. We see it all the time. It's why all throughout government structures, we have all of these investigations and tribunals and commissions and Senate inquiries the whole time. It's because literally, on the one hand, we give you power, but we don't trust you with it. This is the frailty of what we're living in. We give you power, we give you authority to make decisions for the well-being of everyone, but we don't trust fully trust you, so we need to help you remain accountable. I mean, right now, through the body of Christ, the Royal Commission into Institutional Abuse of Children, what came glaringly through that and the reports that are now on the table for the body of Christ to say, hey, we need to do better at this. We need to do a lot better at this. That people we give influence and opportunity and encouragement to care for, disciple and, and invest in our young people are also, are also in relationships of accountability and structures of care. So that, so that this... Abuse stuff stops. Just to let you know, Nick and I, we, we go and see professional um, counsellors for our workplace, our work environment, so that we're aware of the, the rub and the dynamic of doing life with people. And, and, and we understand that people have... have authorized and given their followership toward us to say, would you please lead us? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to model, not just here, but to a whole movement of churches around the country is, hey, it's okay to keep yourself accountable. It's a, actually, it's a really healthy thing. And so we, we go and see our professional um, counselors every quarter and we debrief about how we're going where the rub and the pressure points are and what we're doing about it. We see there are many institutions and situations where people have been given positions of power and authority, but it's been used corruptly. We also see that there's many situations where it's evident to everyone that God's kingdom has been usurped by dark, evil, spiritual forces. Today is the 12th of September for us, but in the United States, it's the 11th of September. September 11th, the 20th anniversary since that terrorist attack on the, on the Twin Towers in New York. It is evidently clear, be you a spiritual or unspiritual person, that those events that took place that day were fueled by dark, evil, spiritual forces behind and through weak, broken human beings. It's evidently clear. It doesn't take a brilliant person to know that. It just takes a person with eyes open to see that. There is much more at play. And we see these dynamics both in big activities around us and in the earth. And Paul says it in Ephesians 6 that this is where we're doing 
our daily life and battle with in this context of those forces are at work. And at the same time, if we honestly take a look at ourselves, we see that there's many realities in our own relationships, our own hearts, that we too need for God's kingdom to come. So Jesus equips his disciples to both invoke the kingdom and release the power of God's kingdom into our circumstances. What does that look like? Well, it looks like God setting things right. It looks like Jesus. If we're going to take Jesus at his word at this moment in time, where he says, when you see me, you see the Father, and he's equipping us to pray that to our Father, to his Father, to him, through him, to the Father, if we're going to be a part of that with him, that invitation, what we're asking is for the Father to have his way. We are simply praying in every bit of our daily living that Jesus' kingdom would come into this space and moment. We are simply invoking and calling for that same presence of God's power that rose Jesus from the dead to come into this moment, this circumstance and this space. The things I'm dealing with around me and the things I'm dealing with within me. God's authority and God's power. It looks like God's name at work. I didn't actually do a little bit of an unpack on hallowed be your name, but if I was going to go there, and I won't today, but if I would, <laughs> what, what Jesus is saying in that prayer, remember it's a temple prayer, it's a prayer where we go into the most holy of places where God is connecting heaven and earth in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When, when we step into that space, there's a hallowedness about that reality. And that hallowedness is actually best described in, in Revelation, where there is no more sin. There is no condemnation. There is no sickness or brokenness. There is no abuse. There's no corruption. It's a hallowedness. It's the very thing we've always longed for. So when we're invoking his name, we're invoking his hallowedness, and when we're releasing his name and his hallowedness, we're saying to everything that is broken with sin, you've been forgiven. Come out from underneath the power of that weight as you embrace Jesus as the good news king. Your sin's been forgiven. We're saying to the sick, come now, out from the sickness, and come into the healing of the lordship of our king himself. We're saying to the lost and the isolated and the alone, we're saying come find family, come find home, come find belonging. We're saying to those that are wrestling for their sense of um, identity and all of the confusion and swill that's in the atmosphere right now, in them and around them, that are battling for who am I and I thought I was this and maybe I'm that and going through all sorts of confusion around that, both in their sense of identity and gender and belonging. We're saying, come, come out, come out from that now. Our Father, he's made you beautiful through Jesus. 
You are his workmanship created for good news into this world. Come into who you really are as God's people. Jesus is inviting us to pray that kind of prayer. Isaiah 61, fantastic. Luke chapter 4, Jesus uses Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4 as his, as his um, missional statement and declaration. I've come to set the captives free. Let me just quickly read a little bit of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord's on me because the Lord's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim a year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion. And to bestow on them a beauty, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness. A work, a planting of God for the display of his splendor. Those people will rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They'll renew ruined cities. They'll have that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd their flocks. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. And you'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of God. And you will feed on the wealth of the nations. And in their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. An everlasting joy will be yours. Not a fleeting joy. An everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people. <laughs> Did you hear that? In his faithfulness, not theirs. In his faithfulness, he will reward his people. And he will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people that God has blessed. I, de I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he's clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed in me a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest. <laughs> and a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes the seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all of the nations. That is Jesus' ministry. He called it into being in Luke 4. And then he says to his disciples, go and do this stuff, will you? Be about my business. Be about my father's business. Do this work. Now, I'm going to ask that we might turn the, turn the camera off if we could. Oh, well, actually, we can record it, but we won't put it up on our live our screen this afternoon because I just want to preserve people's privacy because we're about to do some prayer. We're about to allow our hearts to, to be connect, like connected with this idea and reality of our Father wanting to bring his kingdom into every bit of space that we've been holding in our hearts for his kingdom to come in. And it may, and, and, and I, I just quickly, if I can go to, there's second, two more slides forward. Thanks, Isaac. 
Here we go. I read this last week, and I'll just read it to you again. Because the, the, the last thing we want to be right now is dignified. The last thing, oh, God help us if we want to get dignified at a moment like this. The last thing we want to be is dignified. The first thing we want to do is be sincere before our God and each other. We are a people, kingdom people know how to pray. We know how to lament. The Psalms are full of it. Oh God, how much longer? Oh God, have your way. Oh God, look at what they're getting away with. Oh God. Lament. And lament is is not despair. It is faith's alternative to despair. That's such a powerful statement. It's such a powerful statement. It's an invitation by the Holy Spirit to be grafted into the groaning of the heart of God. And I love what Jonathan Browning, a mate of ours in Sydney, he says, lament is a protest and a frustration that holds on to self-respect and self-worth when shame abounds. It is stubborn and persistent, holding on to the faintest of hopes when hopelessness is all too real. It can be a verbose tirade or an anguished cry. And it wrestles with loss and uncertainty while desperately maintaining a posture of trust in the God who promises to save. So right now we're going we're gonna to join together and we're going to pray and ask for the king to bring his kingdom into every bit of the earth that we inhabit that doesn't look like the kingdom, that doesn't look like Jesus. The things outside us and the things within us that need the kingdom. Please hear me. Do not be dignified. Be real. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And we're going to, this is a place of incredible love and safety in the presence of God. This is not going anywhere for anyone's news or viewings or listening. This is us before the Lord saying, oh God, have your way, have your kingdom. So I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm just, I'm hands off the steering wheel at that point. I'm hands off the steering wheel and I'm inviting you to be hands off the steering wheel as well. And let the spirit of the living God connect you with what's on the Father's heart. So why don't we just, why don't we, why don't we stand? So actually, some, some might like to stand. Some of you may need to lie down. Some of you may need to kneel. Some of you may want to sit there. That's all right. Just do whatever you need to do to get real with God right now. However you best receive the king's presence.